Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. Oh, you bet. What a day. What a very, very, very special day. Today actually is the day before my birthday. It's August the 17th. I'll be 65 tomorrow, and you'll find out more about that as the program goes because we got a present for you. I'm not just taking birthday presents. I'm giving birthday presents, and we'll be pulling on an iPod shuffle for you later on in the show, and we'll let you know who the lucky winner is today. So good day, America. You're listening to Waking Up in America. We are a premier radio magazine, and we like to think that we provide listeners with powerful conversations of excellence. And we're headed for your body, mind, and spirit. So come, come on and be a fly on the wall right here. We can, we can hear you buzzing over there. And listen to some of the most intriguing conversations on radio, and you can get it only here. Only here on Waking Up in America. We're a telephone radio team. It's really pretty interesting. Our editors call in from all over the United States. Sometimes you'll hear an airport in the background, or road noises, or a baby crying, or occasionally the angels sing. That may happen today because we've got a very special guest, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, with us, who is actually the person that first put conversations with God into our conversation. Now, I'm Dr. Valerie Ann Kirkgaard, and I'm a mom. I've played polo. I've piloted planes. I've carried the Olympic torch. I've done just all kinds of things. I did them because I found out that the more things that I took on that frightened me, and once I got through them, that I had a bigger and better life. So call your friends, invite them to listen, and we'd love to have them join us here on Waking Up in America. And they can hear us from any place in the world live on the Internet. And uh, Bob Costa of the Home Shopping Network, who's actually going to be on next week, he says that we're doing radio that will change the world, and we hope that you agree. As I said, our guest today is Neil Donald Walsh, and you probably first heard of him. Those of you who have heard of him have really heard of him. Um, with Conversations of God, how long ago was that, Neil, that you wrote that book? Well, it was published 10 years ago this year, and as a matter of fact, uh, in uh, just a number of weeks now, uh, the publishers will be releasing a 10th anniversary edition with all three of the first uh, trilogy, uh, Conversations with God, book one, two, and three, under one cover uh, in a boxed uh, presentation. Uh, which will be available as a commemorative 10th anniversary commemorative edition of the Conversations with God material. Well, maybe for your, your 20th <laughs> anniversary of edition, when you were saying special box edition, I imagine parchment with gold and black wrapped in a leather binding, something of that nature, you know, the kind of quality book that you don't see that much anymore. Well, I, yeah, I hope that they don't uh, fancy it up too much because uh, then people will start to think that it's something special. Uh, oh, you mean... Being able to talk to God really isn't special? No, not in the sense that it's unusual or in any way different from the experiences that all of us are having every day of our lives. It's no, no more special than walking across the street or shampooing one's hair. It's a rather common experience. As Groucho Marx would have said in the old days of You Bet Your Life, it's a common experience, something that happens every day around the house. <laughs> and in fact, it does. So the, the real danger of... Um, having put out a book called Conversations with God, is that people will somehow think that it's a, an experience unique to me or that in some way or another I'm different from uh, the average person. And uh, even though the message of the books it itself 
is that uh, that is not true, that everyone is having conversations with God all the time. We're simply calling it something else or ignoring it altogether. Yeah, I'd go for the um, latter one. When did you start paying attention to the conversations with God that you were having? How old were you? Well, I was about, <laughs> interesting. I was about 50 years old, 49, 50 years old, uh, and I only began to really pay attention because, as everyone who's read my books knows, my life was falling apart. My uh, relationship with my significant other was dissolving right in front of my face. My career, uh, at the same time, had reached an absolute dead end. My health was going rapidly downhill. Nothing, in fact, in my life was working. And so I had reached that point of utter desperation as I approached my 50th year, wondering what does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? And somebody tell me the rules. I'll play. Just give me the rule book. And so then you heard this firm, steady voice, or how did it work? Well, in fact, I did hear a voice. I actually heard uh, a voice exterior uh, to myself. It wasn't uh, um, what I expected to hear. I didn't expect to hear anything, but if I was uh, thinking that I might hear something, I wasn't certainly expecting to hear what I heard. The first thing that I heard was a very simple statement. Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? I can recall my instant reaction was, well, I am venting, but if you have responses, if you have answers, I'd sure as heck like to know what they are. And at that point, it was as if someone just downloaded uh, all the information into my mind, and I began writing as rapidly as I could what I was, I want to say, hearing in my head as if it was dictation. But the, uh, the interesting aspect of it was that I would write a little bit, and a question would come up in my mind. I began to question what I was hearing, if you please, in my mind. So I would write, I would just, it was a natural process. I wasn't trying to write a book. This was a very private, personal process that I considered myself to be journaling you know, at, at 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. So I was, uh, I was asking questions. But as soon as I would ask the question, before I got the question mark put down on the paper at the end of the sentence, uh, the answer to that question would come to me in whole, complete and perfect, and I would have to race to get it all written out before I forgot what was being dictated or what was being given to me by that process. That would bring up another question and another answer and another question, and before I knew it, I found myself involved in quite an extraordinary dialogue on paper, which I wound up calling a conversation with God. My goodness. I never expected it to be published, you understand. This was still just all a very private experience in my journaling notebook. But at some point in the uh, in the process, I was told this will one day become a book. And my first thought was, of course, you and a hundred other people are going to send your middle-of-the-night mental meanderings to a publisher who's going to jump up and down and say, we'll have to put this out at once. But in fact, uh, as uh, unlikely as that might seem in my kidding way of putting it, that's exactly what did happen. I, I sent it to a publisher just to see whether what I was being told had any validity, had anything behind it. And then it, in fact, was published. The publisher called me, uh, the publisher to whom I sent it, and said, you know, this is extraordinary stuff. We're going to put this into a book. I said, you're kidding me. I just sent it to you just as a, as a, as on a whim to test out. He said, no, this is good stuff. We're going to publish it. And they did publish it. And within five months, it had become a New York Times bestseller, and it wound up remaining on the Times bestseller list for two and a half years the longest stay by a spiritual book in this century. Wow. How how many copies of that has been sold? Well, over seven and a half million at this point. Uh, And it's been translated into 37 languages. 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's very, very impressive. Now, recently, and this is where I hooked up with you again, maybe we should, I'd like to just take a moment and give Dennis Weaver a plug here. Do you yes. mind? Because I know you're on the board. Yes. Of uh, the Institute of Economics, and I had the pleasure of um, helping run the hydrogen car drive back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing remarkable things with Dennis. You live in National Oregon, right? Yes, I do. I know that he went up there for the Shakespeare Festival. Did that have anything to do with you? <laughs> he, he, he and I have done some theatrical work together as well. I've directed Dennis, actually, on stage. That's what I think. It's really good. So uh, besides doing these conversations with God, Neil uh, is actually working with Dennis Weaver. I was talking to Dennis the other day, and he was talking about how he and Willie Nelson are working on the uh, biodiesels. Yes. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff there. So it seems to me like... Not only do you listen to God, but you put God's work into action. Well, I, I like to think so, and and uh, but that brings up a question, of course: What is God's work? Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. What do you think? Well, there really isn't any work that God would, would wants us to do. I mean, there's nothing specific that God has in mind for us. God's work is whatever we declare our work to be, as we recreate ourselves anew in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever we held about who we are, that the process of life and the purpose of life is evolution, or, in a small word, growth. We are growing into ourselves, much like the tree outside our window is doing exactly the same thing from the seedling that it once was. And the tree doesn't know anymore, factually, about itself now than it did when it was a seedling. Everything it needed to know, everything it needed to have, in order to become the beautiful, huge tree outside our window now, was contained in its own seed. Now it's just a question, as it has always been from the time that seed was planted, of the tree just giving itself, in a sense, permission to express itself, to become the next largest version of itself. And the tree is doing that every day. So, in fact, are we, unless we're not. So this is a a process that involves our conscious creation. And by this process, God itself becomes known to itself through the process of the expression of itself, or as I like to put it in my writing, life is a process that informs life about life through the process of life itself. Very, very interesting stuff because, of course, what you're talking about has been named self-realization and a variety of other things. But I like the concept because I'm sure you're familiar with the Michelangelo concept that he didn't create the statues, that he simply removed the stone. Yes, of course. I think this is you're saying the same thing, right? Oh, there. It's just about getting the stuff that's not who we are out of the way. Yeah, there's nothing missing. No, 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 no. It's all all been there from the very beginning. Our job is just to, as you suggest, carve away the excess or the stuff that has nothing to do with who we really are. And humanity is doing that, essentially, as a species uh, through that process of evolution. And we are doing it, each of us, individually as well. We're going through that process of evolution in kind of a speeded up way these days uh, and the only danger here if we're not careful because opportunity uh, and danger uh, both lurk at the edge of the same experience is that if we're not careful we could take uh, ourselves off uh, the path and plunge humanity into the abyss where life as we now know it uh, will not uh, continue on this planet and it will take many many generations to reproduce it. So we have to be very careful because evolution is a very delicate, delicate process. We see the delicacy of that process as we look at the evolution of 
many species of living beings on this planet, as well as plants and, and, and so forth. Very delicate process. It's no less delicate with humanity itself. And right now, I'm afraid that humanity is running a, a danger of self-annihilation, self-destruction, or at the very least, a huge alteration in the way we're living life collectively on the Earth. And if we like the way life has been going these past several hundred years, we may want to take a, a real close look at where we're headed in the next hundred and what we can do in this present moment to uh, put in a course correction. No, it's interesting. I want to just let listeners know if you want to ask um, Neil a question, you can email at me at Val at wakingupinamerica.com, and I will ask him the question while we're on the air. So please feel free to shoot me an email. I uh, wanted to take a moment here, and there's a number of team members that we do the show with, Neil, and find out, Gail, if you're here, or, or George, or Maureen, or Cherie, or Lisa, if you'd like to ask Neil a question. Hi, it's Gail. I am here. And uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Mr. Walsh, and thank you for being with us. One of the things that you encourage us to do is to place a top priority on our moral and our ethical development. And I was wondering if you could just speak about that. Well, it has to do with truth and authenticity. By the way, I'm not doing very good at that myself, so I think we teach what we have to learn. I wouldn't begin to even suggest that I have made a really significant or substantial movement or improvement in my own uh, efforts uh, to live uh, on a high moral plane or a high ethical plane. I lie all the time, little white lies, and sometimes uh, not little white lies. You know, we were talking about that this morning, actually. If somebody asks you if you like your food and you say it's fine and it isn't. Yeah. Or, or you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm guilty. Uh, even bigger lies than that. Me too. Uh, right, try to make the moment work or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, they say there's that we they, they've checked it. You know, they followed human beings around. Yeah. They were willing to be authentic about this. They say that the that the average human being lies 200 times a day. I'm not surprised. And uh, I'm not even a little surprised. So what we're talking about here, living ethically and morally, starts really with the interior of ourselves to try to reduce that number, if we can, from 200 to 100 down to zero, if possible. Uh, it's a very risky and, and, and uh, difficult place to be, a challenging place to be. But ethics and morality begin with um, cleaning up our own our own uh, inner process and allowing ourselves to be absolutely naked, transparent, authentic, truthful in the moment. The five steps to truth-telling that were given me in conversations with God are uh, wonderful guidelines, a wonderful roadmap to be first truthful to yourself about yourself, then second to be truthful to yourself about another, then thirdly to be truthful about yourself to another, then fourthly to be truthful about that other to that other, and then finally, the fifth step, to be truthful to everyone or with everyone about everything. And uh, those are the five steps of, of, of truth-telling. And if we can take that path which has been given to me uh, and walk it uh, as best we can, we start to start to act um, ethically and morally uh, in our daily lives. The, the, the question, of course, is what is morality? But when you talk about, asking, talk about acting morally, we have to ask ourselves by, by whose measure? By what judgment? Is uh, is the White House, are, are the people there acting morally right now in what they're doing in Iraq? Well, I don't want to get involved in, in either side of that, but what I notice is that some say yes and some say no. That's what I notice about that. Right. And 
The same is true about the people who flew airplanes into buildings on September 11th. Some say there are people in the world who actually say that was the moral thing to do. Mm-hmm. And there are those who say that, of course, it was not. So unless humanity can come up with a new definition of morality... Or an understanding of each other's position and somehow there create that. There you are. Because you way. have to share the positions. The, the, Muslim, the Muslim who has starvation and death in his future sees throwing himself into that building as an act of God's glory. And an act of sacrifice on behalf of jihad, which exactly. is holy struggle. Doesn't holy. get any better than that in the Muslim world, huh? That's it. And so, you know, you get 70 So if we spent $87 billion, Neil, and sent it to um, um, the Middle East to train people into having prosperous lives, how can we get into that position? Well, this is where it is. This is where the change has to occur. The change has to occur at the level of education or, more specifically, at the level of belief. We keep on trying to change the world at the level of behavior. In other words, stop doing that. Right. And we can't. We can maybe get a small group of people to stop doing it. That's just a band-aid. And when the next generation comes up, they'll start doing it again. So the only way to get people to really change behaviors in the long run is to get them to change the beliefs that sponsor the behaviors. That's why we are starting uh, a program to place on the ground in cities, towns, and villages around the world schools of the new spirituality. Just as there are madrasas and yeshivas right now uh, around the world, so too will there be international school of theology of the new spirituality, which will uh, allow people to come from all walks of life, from everywhere in the world, to sit down in classes two or three times a week, if not more often, and learn about another way to experience divinity, which does not make each other wrong for the way in which they are doing it, and another way to understand who we are in relationship to God and life and all that is. So we're beginning that process now, uh, and we're putting together our plan to create a school of theology here in Ashland, Oregon, because what I believe that the world now could desperately use is another idea about God, about life, and about each other. In fact, my life mission, frankly, is to do just that. Somebody asked me the other day, if you could put your life mission in one sentence, what would it be? And I said, real simple, I intend to change the world's mind about God. That's great. Do you happen to know Pierre Prodervand? I do not. Have you heard that name? I'm, f- I'm sorry that I have not. Hey, well, he did something really very interesting. He was part of a project in Africa, probably 15 years ago. No, I almost lied. <laughs> you said, did you, did you ever hear that name? And I was almost tempted to say, oh, of course I have. Yeah. So that I would come off as erudite, articulate, and totally informed. <laughs> no, I appreciate your <laughs> candor. That's perfect. I love it. Neil Dalwash really telling the truth here on Waking Up in America, folks. <laughs> So Pierre Prodervand wrote a book called Listening to Africa. Uh-huh. And in Africa, when Pierre, before Pierre wrote that book, they actually, the African woman spent 10 hours a day preparing the evening meal. Wow. Then uh, a, a group of French people got together and they bought one of the villages in Africa a, a mill for grinding the wheat or whatever it is at the corn or whatever it is that they use for the evening meal Yeah. and cut her time down to two hours, right? Yes. But now, for, and the investment in that mill was $700. Yes. What they did was is that every woman in the village agreed to pay two pennies every time they used the mill. Mm-hmm. So they paid one penny for maintenance in case the mill broke down, and they paid the second penny so that when they had $700, they could buy another mill for another village. Mm. Okay? In 10 years, all the women in Africa had access to these mills, and they got back eight hours of their life, and they got community, and they got each other from one idea. 
one idea. It's an extraordinary story. I was just, I was, it dumbfounded me. I mean, he's got lots of other good stories. He, I wish I knew where to find him. He used to be in Switzerland um, because I'd love to know what he's up to. He's it, up it, to changing it, the whole conversation about poverty on the planet. Of course, and it illustrates the power of education. Knowledge is power. You bet. I mean, nothing, those women went from cooking stones from their, for their children. That's what they used to feed them when they didn't have anything. I don't know if you know that. You know, they cook stones and water and tell their kids, you know, that these warm soup. stones were their dinner. Yeah, soup. A warm stone soup. So we have um, George. I know George always has a really good question. George, you here yet? Yes, I am, Val. Well, this is. A, I, I, I warned me to have a great question. I don't know if I have a great question, but I do want to thank you for Conversations with God. I was. I read it while I was visiting with my dad after my mom passed away, and it was uh, such a, a, a tremendous. Uh, insight for me at a time of deep grief and at a time that I needed to be strong for my dad. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Well, you're very kind to say those words to me. I wish I could accept thanks completely. I'm willing to embrace your words of appreciation, and I thank you back for them. The true thanks, of course, goes to the source of all of that. I'm just very grateful that if anything I may have done in this world, in this life, has brought benefit to another. I'm very humbly thankful for that, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to play that small role. And what is your new book and the message in it? The new book is called What God Wants, and the message is exactly that. It's a detailed look at what God wants, and it looks first at the history of what we have uh, decided and declared that God wants on this planet, what the various religions have told us about that, what our social structures have, have informed us about that, and then, it, and then it goes into the uh, a new idea, a new a new thought about it. Not necessarily the uh, the only thought, not necessarily the most accurate thought, but a new thought, an alternative way of looking at the question. And it, it, it reveals, in that alternative point of view, what God wants. And the second half of the book then deals with, if that were true, just just hypothetically, if that were true, what kind of outcomes could we might uh, could might we reasonably expect to see manifested uh, in our physical and collective reality here on the planet. So it's a fascinating book that takes a look at all of that, uh, and it's a profound book because that's much needed right now because many, many decisions are being made in many, many places on the world, both in the lives of human beings collectively, that is, nation-states and so forth, acting in their political and military ways, as well as individuals uh, living their lives and making individual choices and decisions based on our collective understanding about what God wants. And the point of the book is, if we found that, that our understanding was, was not necessarily even inaccurate, but simply incomplete, just, just not, not fully uh, uh, complete, if, if we found out just that, it would change dramatically our idea of what God wants, which in turn would change dramatically the way we behave with and toward each other. So it's a very uh, striking uh, excursion. It's an extraordinary book. In fact, it's a dangerous book in some ways because the ideas in it are theologically revolutionary. That's why on the back cover of the book it says, when was the last time you read a dangerous book? Very funny. I like that. Uh, I, have a, I have an email here from a, a listener. Her name is Jennifer, and she's from North Carolina. And she says, I heard somewhere you're making a movie. Is that true? Yes, it is. We go into casting next week, as a matter of fact. 
uh, and the movie shoots begins shooting in November. We go into rehearsals in October, uh, and the movie is uh, is called Conversations with God, the Human Story, uh, and uh, we're very excited about it. It'll place the messages of Conversations with God wrapped up in a dramatic uh, presentation of the story of my life, uh, and so we we think it's going to be an exciting uh, movie. And oh, do you have any of the other roles cast? The, uh, some of the roles are cast. We're not at liberty at this point uh, to um, you know, to announce the cast members. Uh, the cast will not be uh, comprised of people whose names are instantly recognizable. There are no time. God bless them, but there are no time. I was actually thinking of Morgan Freeman in his white suit. Yeah, we really aren't uh, going in that direction because we don't want the message to be pulled off by the appearance of someone who's widely known and who we immediately recognize as one of the most popular actors in Hollywood. Right. In this case, we want it to be a story or message-driven film and not a film that's driven by a Hollywood personality, however well-liked he or she might be. No, I understand totally. So we're going to find some really fine actors, but the actor's presence will not get in the way of the message or the story. Now, Val, can, this is Sheree. Can I pipe in here? Yeah, pipe in. and we'll, we'll He's already a done a movie called The Indigo Children, and um, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but I have. And uh, they did exactly that. They did not take um, well-known actors, but they did an exquisite movie that's been shown all over the United States and maybe you know Canada and different parts of the world. Could you speak to that just a little bit, Mr. Walsh? Well, I had a wonderful time uh, appearing in that film. Jimmy Twyman and I co-wrote yep. the script. Uh, Stephen Simon did the producing and directing on it. And the movie is called simply Indigo. And the movie is a uh, dramatization, really, in story form of the phenomena of indigo children, uh, and it was made with the purpose of both entertaining our audience and informing people around the world about just what this phenomena uh, looks like, uh, some ways at least in which it manifests itself in our own physical reality, uh, and to kind of awaken awaken humanity to the fact that uh, indigo children are now among us, that this is a phenomenon that's real. And Can we have you back? And talk about indigo children because do, doing indigo children in thirty seconds is not very much fun, you know. It's impossible to to reduce it to that. But exactly. I didn't the film, but people could just rent the movie. The, the movie Indigo is now available at most uh, blockbuster video stores. Is it? Is it really? Yeah. I'd love to have you come back and, and and talk about your work. Now you're doing a workshop in Essex, Vermont. We'll be doing a workshop in Essex, Vermont, called Living Your Purpose. And it'll be from the 8th of September until the 11th of September, in just a couple of weeks now. Uh, if people want more information about that and want to learn about how they can get closer to their life purpose using the principles in the Conversations with God books, they can just go to our website, which is CWG, which, of course, stands for Conversations with God, CWG.org. Then click on the appropriate tab. They'll find it there for the Vermont uh, retreat. Now, is there a telephone number that people can reach you at as well? I don't have that memorized. Just go to the website. <laughs> Very good. I actually had it here in front of me. If I, uh, it, it's disappeared from my desktop. Um, Neil, thank you very much for being with us today. This was uh, extraordinary. Well, yeah, it's very nice of you to ask me, and I've enjoyed being with you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. So here, I'm actually going to give you the telephone number. Are you still there, Neil? Yeah. It's five four one four eight eight. 8363. Once again, 
888-488-8363. And once again, the website is cwg.org. And if you forget, you know, it's conversations with the guy up there or the woman up there or whatever, .org. So there you go. Now, I'm just on the website, and it's this beautiful picture of a sunset, and it says all people are special, all moments are golden. There you go. I I have to tell you, I'm feeling moved right now to sing happy birthday to myself because thank you for being my birthday present today, Neil. Well, you're very, very well. Totally appreciate it. So there you go, listeners. Now, Maureen, are you here? Miss O'Crean? I am, indeed. <laughs> well, Maureen and I have the distinct honor <coughs> of creating the um, opportunity for one of our fortunate listeners who, who wrote in and signed up to be on our email list to actually get an iPod Shuffle. Was that terrible noise? I must have been the universe getting excited about the iPod Shuffle. I bet. So the, the name of the winner, do you want to know? I would love to know. Yes. Like, <laughs> Maureen O'Crean. That was is that the name of the winner? It just did not stick on the page. Uh, no? Imagine you've that. Of, you've heard of Dick and Jane? Yes. Okay, so it's a Jane. It's a Jane. Uh-huh. Ooh. Ooh, it's a Jane. How many Janes have signed up on our list? God, maybe I should give more information. Notice how I reference God? Yeah. So good, because it's like, this obviously is a conversation from God. Her last name is Warner. W-A-R-N-E-R. So it's Jane Warner is the lucky winner of my birthday present to you, the iPod Shuffle. Well, congratulations, Jane, and we will be contacting you by email, and you can send us all of the information. And if you're on listening to the show right now, but please write to Val at wakingupinamerica.com and tell her that you heard it right here. And in case your computer broke down, you can actually call toll-free 866-RADIO-99 and you can say, I'm Jane Warner and I'm here. And I'm we'll here load. to claim my prize. <laughs> right. So there you go. I'm totally delighted. Now, moving right along, we have... We have a bunch of four-minute segments for you for, from some really great human beings. First one is Cherie Ross. Now she does a segment on the essential oils. So, Cherie, take it away. Hello, everyone. And this is Cherie Ross with Essentially Yours. And today I'm going to dovetail on what wonderful Neil Donald Walsh talked about, and that is how do we continue to evolve with ourselves without up, uh, upsetting the apple cart, if you will within consciousness and within what we're here to do. And this might be a little far-fetched for some of you, but let's talk a little bit about how we're experiencing this in our lives. There has been a shift in this energy that the majority of us cannot see, but we certainly have felt it since spring. And it shifted slightly before a tsunami came in and ushered in the big shift. And it literally felt, feels oftentimes to our physical bodies or emotions like tsunamis uh, would have felt to the land and to the people who live there, this giant just onflux of this massive overtaking wave of seemingly destruction. But in reality, what's happening to us is our body's ability 
to heighten the new frequencies, the new energies that we are, are being presented to, much like a house. If your house is, is or building is uh, wired for 110 and you try and bring in an air conditioner, which requires 220, what's going to happen to the house? You're going to blow all the circuits on the house. Well, the new energy that's coming in is much like that of a 220, and we are much like 110 oftentimes. So what happens is when we choose to engage in life or just be out there living it, we feel overwhelmed easily, our, our blood pressure may go up, our heart may start to race, um, we will uh, lose it over seemingly very small things emotionally, our sleep patterns will be seriously disrupted. And so what are some of the oils? Because the one thing that will help tremendously your physical body literally be able to be rewired, if you will, it's these oils assist our body in the rewiring process, both physically and emotionally, for this new spiritual connection that Neil Donald Walsh was speaking of. And I'm going to speak about a few of those oils today to help us. Um, one is helichrysum oil, and it's spelled H-E-L-I-C-H-R-Y-S-M. Another is obviously rose oil. And there's another oil called Australian Blue Cypress, and in my last minute I'm going to share a brief story about that oil. And it comes from Australia, Australian Blue Cypress. Now, helichrysum oil, for me, what it did is when this energy started coming on, I normally have low blood pressure, and my blood pressure shot up very, very high to the point of my doctor had me on what was called heart attack alert. Um, I was woken up in the middle of the night by pounding heart, and my assistant could literally see the veins in my neck, the the pulses going through my veins. That's how intense it was. So I used lots of helichrysum oil, basically put it on my heart, put it on the back of my neck, and as these waves kept coming in, I was able to handle everything with much more grace and ease, and it has now passed. Rose oil on the heart area, emotionally, as I was feeling very disrupted, and things that shouldn't get to me were getting to me deeply, and it made no sense. I felt like no matter what I did, the rug was being pulled out from under me. So I used rose oil on my heart. And you have to make sure when you get rose oil that you get the pure Bulgarian rose, not the perfume rose that's loaded with chemicals. Because there's a huge difference. One will cause a toxic reaction in your sinuses. The other will help actually help your body heal itself. Now, let's speak quickly to the Australian Blue Cypress Oil in my remaining minute here. There's a wonderful gentleman. His name is Bill McGilvery. He owns the Australian Essential Oil Company. He is singly responsible with the Aboriginal and the Tiwi tribes to bring us Australian Blue Cypress Oil. That is their, their sacred tree. A lot of cultures have a sacred tree or a sacred plant, such as the lotus or the, or the, the uh, sandalwood tree or the cypress tree or, you know, different, different plants and different trees. To the um, Tiwi people in the Northwest Territory of Australia, it's the blue cypress tree. And why? Because it has phenomenal spiritual capacity of energy, but it also has amazing healing properties. So when I asked, we all know, if you haven't read The Mutant Message Down Under, please read it. It's an excellent book. sure is. Yeah, it is. And when I asked um, Bill McGilvery, who is up there, he's one of the few Americans that are allowed up there on the Tiwi Islands, I asked him, I said, Bill, what is it about you hear this telepathic communication thing going on with the Aborigines and the Tiwi people? And he, he just said, well, sure, you know, I'm a scientist, and I don't believe in any of that weirdo stuff. And I just looked at him, and he got a glimmer in his eye, and he said, but I will tell you this story. He said, um, it will, um, it's very desolate up in the Northwest Territory. And he said, story. Yep. He said, we left 
uh, one tribe, uh, one village, and we were going to another village, and it was a, a, about approximately an eight-hour drive in the truck. And we did not, there were no airplanes, there were no anything that passed us or came around us, no other vehicles, no horses, nothing. And he said, right in the beginning of the trip, my hat blew out the window, and it was my favorite hat, and I was quite disturbed. But when we ended up in the next village where we were going eight hours later, one of the uh, senior women of the of the village came up to me and handed me my hat. So he said, you tell me, do you believe or not? So if you would like to uh, have a little bit of fun, with, as I do, give me a call because I do have that Australian blue cypress soil and it does indeed engage that aspect of our being. Give us a call at toll-free 866-RADIO-99 or heaveninc.com. All right. Way to go. Uh, Lisa Molson, are you here? Yes, Lisa Molson. Yes, I'm here. All the family is here. I'm Lisa here. Molson is, uh, the, is the author of The Heart Goal of Family Matters. Take it away, kiddo. Your next four minutes are yours. All right, great. Well, this this message to you is being brought by Willard Harley, Jr. He's an author of a book called His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage, which is of great interest to me. His Needs and Her Needs, uh, he, he writes in here, he says he started that he wasn't always successful in his marriage counseling, but what he did is, is use that. <laughs> Interestingly enough, he said most of the people that came to him for, for counseling actually ended up in divorce. However... He didn't give up, and he started to find different solutions to the problem, and this book is a result of those findings. And what he found is that there is ten basic emotional needs that, a, that couples have, and men usually tend to lean towards, you know, five on this side, and women towards, tend to lean towards another five in the same general area. However, he says each, he treats each marriage individually. And because of that... <clears throat> He said that it's important that you that you have to find the unique things in your own relationship to find out what your your spouse wants or needs emotionally as well. So it's important to find what those are. Um, also, I wanted to share with you some of the, the the ten things that he has found as far as emotional needs that most most couples come up on their list. He says number one is needs for affection, two sexual fulfillment, three conversation or recreational companionship, five, honesty and openness, six, attractiveness of spouse, seven, financial support, eight, domestic support, and nine, nine, family commitment, and ten, admiration. Now, I've always thought that, you know, we're all responsible for each other, for our own happiness, which I totally believe is, is, is true. However, there's things that, that we're all going to like you know, that the other person doesn't like, and you just have to find out what those things are. I might not be real crazy about vanilla, but when my husband gives me mocha almond fudge, it really, you know, lights my light up, you know. So I, take the time to find out what those emotional needs are. And if you uh, want to learn more about this book and the things that he's sharing in here, you can go to www.marriagebuilders.com. It's actually here from the Northwood, so... Um, he lives in Minneapolis or actually Minnesota someplace here. So in any event, um, thank you so much for joining us. This is Lisa Molson with Family Matters. And strengthen your family and heal the world. Thank you. Oh, yes. You know, uh, actually what I was thinking about when you were mm-hmm. saying it was, I think you said earlier, heal our world. Right. 
I like that. Yep. As we strengthen our families, we heal our world. Thank you very much, Lisa. You're welcome. George Wachewski, Mr. Leadership. How is your leadership conversation going to change today after you had a conversation with a guy that has conversations with God? George? Hi, Val. Hi. I know the conversation around the conversation around leadership uh, was really fired up for me this past weekend. I attended a two-day leadership workshop that was held at a camp south of Dallas Fort Worth. So we were out in the country. We were in a very secluded, uh, quiet, peaceful um, place. And as we were there, we were there were a group of about twenty-five of us. And we were looking out through the picture windows in the meeting building and noticing the green grass and the breeze through the trees and the stream that was flowing by. And our leader asked, how do you feel right now? And there was a, a, a tangible sense of peace, of tranquility, of being blessed, of really being in line with nature, with God. And then he said, close your eyes and imagine that you're looking out the same windows, only now you're seeing pavement, concrete, broken glass, vacant lots, trash strewn around. And then he asked, now how do you feel? And there was a physiological change in each of us as we were imagining this different view. And then when he called us back together, he challenged us and said, what environment do you create as a leader in the roles in your life? What's the environment that you create in your business, in your organization, in your volunteer group? in your family, in your church? What's the environment that you've created? Is it that environment that's aligned with nature, with God, or is it this nasty, dirty, ugly, unfulfilling, uninspiring environment? And that got us started on a conversation about why do we need a different leadership in our world today. Why is the need for leadership in the 21st century dramatically different than that of the 20th century? And as we engaged in that conversation, we discovered that people know more today than they ever have. There is more information available from more different sources. People are regularly getting information. And they're saying, I want to do something with this information. I want to do something good with this information. I want to be in a situation where I'm being valued for who I am as a unique individual. So that plays out in our organizations. People are in our organizations by choice. And by choice, they will either give fully of their gifts, talents, full commitment with their hearts, full engagement of their creativity and innovation with their minds if they believe that they are fulfilling a greater purpose. 
And if they don't, they will show up, they'll punch the clock, they'll do the work so that they get the paycheck. But they will withhold the best part of themselves from that. And we talked at quite some length about the collective potential. Think about the gifts and talents that, exi- that exist in every gathering of folks and imagine it fully engaged and fully charged at producing something that's meaningful in our communities, in our marketplaces, in our world. And it inspired us. And we realized that within Rotary International, there is what's called the four-way test. And it is an ethical approach to the world that was started during the Depression. And the first one is, is it the truth? Which is what we are hearing today, being truthful. Is it fair to all concerned, not to just a select few? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Because Rotary is focused on creating peace throughout the world. Everything we do, does it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? That four-way test is guiding Rotarians around the world, and as we share it more broadly within our organizations, businesses, families, we will be influencing others to follow that four-way test and live in that ethical way and lead in a way that really does uplift and inspire and bring out the best in others. This segment has been brought to you by True Leader Coach, where we do believe in bringing out the best in others. Please contact us for a free consultation on making progress in your own life at 877-321-4852. That's 877-321-4TLC. Ooh, good. I like that for TLC. You can also, if you didn't get down all that information, you can call us at toll-free, 866-RADIO-99. Once again, that's toll-free, 866-RADIO-99. And if you're Jane Wagner... Give us a call, Jane, because you're the iPod winner, or email us at val at wakingupinamerica.com and say, I'm the one. Give us your address and telephone number, and we'll make sure that iPod loaded with um, our radio shows and a little space in there for music as well will be popped right off to your house. So that's a really exciting thing, and I like this idea so much that um, I think maybe we should give away another iPod shuffle for uh, perhaps Thanksgiving. So as we go through the time here, uh, we'll put you all into the lottery pot. And anybody that signs up to be on the radio show mailing list between now and Thanksgiving will be entered into that pot. And what do you get if you sign up? You actually get sent to each week who the guest is going to be. And that's always a thrilling thing to know. You would have gotten a nice picture of Neil Donald Walsh today and part of the conversation that he's having. And in the future, we're going to be adding things to that to um, give you more information and to make things available for you. But right now, gosh, I can hear the diva shuffling. She likes to readjust her boa before she comes on the show. She's such a diva about that. And I was wondering what the diva is going to speak with us about today. Well, today, Valerie, we are going to talk about the real deal. Hi, everyone. This is Maureen O'Cream for Distinctively Diva. And I've had a very interesting experience lately involving, in of all things, a pair of adorable pink sunglasses. 
Now, these sunglasses came into my possession only temporarily and by accident. And I am so intrigued by how people respond to them. I'm hanging on to them longer than I should. They actually belong to a girlfriend of my niece Ryan's, Rachel, and the girls were out visiting me in California a few weeks ago. Well, the number one place on their list was to go to Chinatown and into downtown L.A., the home of the knockoffs. Rachel picked up these adorable, cute sunglasses with a D and a G on the side and left them in the back of the car. I had the glasses in my purse to ship them back to her, and I took them out to get something from my purse. Well, at the time, my companion was a young woman in her 20s, and she said, cute glasses, in a knowing way. (laughs) I thought it was funny because the designer glasses are $200 or more a pop and not on my list of important things to have. And so I started an experiment. I started wearing the glasses. You would not believe the number of compliments that I have received for these sunglasses. The world thinks I'm cool because they think I'm wearing glasses designed by Dolce & Gabbana. I think it's such a hoot if they only knew I'm so cool I'm wearing knockoffs owned by an 18-year-old girl. Now, this is not a validation of knockoffs. Designers put a lot of trouble into what they design. But it really gave me some thought about how we react to human beings and how do we tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. So my word for today for all of us is genuine. Are you the genuine article or are you a poor copy of someone else? When we try to be someone or something that we're not, we become stifled. Are you stifled in any areas of your life? If so, then you are probably not living your genuine life, the life that works perfectly just for you. Start small today. Find one place where you're giving up on yourself, where you're wearing knockoffs instead of the genuine article. Maybe today is the day to keep quiet and avoid conflict. Or maybe today is the day to gently show your point of view. The next time a situation that arises that makes you feel uncomfortable, be genuine. Oh, you may ruffle some feathers, but more importantly, you'll be able to begin to live a genuine life, the life that you were meant to live. So please visit us and sign up for our free newsletter at distinctivelydiva.com the online community of women for women. Also send your friends and your family to sign up at wakingupinamerica.com for all info on our fabulous team and guests. And call us toll-free at 866-RADIO-99 if you want to get in touch with any of the editors. And it's back to you, Dr. Valerie. Happy birthday, birthday right. girl. Thank you. All right. Listen, I'm having a midlife crisis, okay? It's, it's called 65, <laughs> and I'm celebrating it. It's my birthday, and Maureen saw me through this amazing process about secretly I'd always wanted a red 
a, a bright yellow Jeep, actually. And when, when one was for sale on the street to my house, I, I, I determined it was my destiny. Well, Monday night I went crashing down the hill backwards because part of my Jeep fell apart. And everybody told me when I was buying it that it was too big, it was too powerful, and I should never have this car. Except when I talked to Maureen, what did you say? I said, does it make you happy? And you said you never heard me sound so happy since you'd known me. I haven't, actually. And when I walked out of the garage, well, the times it's been in the garage because it's been in the repair shop. I've owned the car for 30 days, right? I'm giving you this conversation because people always say it with their dream. In my case, I assume that living my dream is when I wake up and start being engaged. So as a 65-year-old or a 64-year-old driving my Jaguar, there's no way I would get under that car. I wouldn't want to get dirty. My knees hurt sometimes if my body gets too acid. Whatever. You will find me under the Jag. It's not something I'm going to do. Monday night... I am wearing my, driving my Jeep shorts. I have careened down the side of a mountain, plowed into the side of it, and I now have the tow truck over there, and he needs my help to get it out. So I'm under the car, hooking up chains, doing all of this stuff, and I'm not only not giving a rat bum about it, I'm actually alive. And the neighbor comes down the street and she goes, bad angle. That's as she saw me sitting at a 45-degree angle as the thing was propped up on his side as we were trying to get it down. And I said, yeah, Josie, but I'm not watching television. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm out here, and everybody thinks their dream is like when you dance with the prince at the grand ball or you win best of prize at the show. There's way more to it than that. I was talking to Larry, who owns Dirty Parts. This is an ad for you, Larry. I just love you. I was talking to Larry, who owns Dirty Parts, and he was saying that he felt bad that I'd only gotten to drive my car twice on two different days after I got in it because something else fell apart. And he said, you know, when you start to clean up a mechanical system, he said, and you get one thing working, then the next thing can break down because it's used to being in the old stressful position. And you know what? If it breaks down, then you get to actually improve the circumstance. And I actually happen to come from a family of people that is used to working with old cars, so I understood this totally. In fact, we were laughing about it. And I asked him, I said, Jeeps are not known for breaking down. He said, well, they'll break sometimes, but the parts are cheap. I said, you know, something like a Fiat, which is fix it again, Tony, that'll break down all the time. You can count on it before you take your next breath. You used to own one of those, too. So I said, do you think I'm, like, stupid to continue this process, right? <laughs> because I'm into the car for a bit now. But the point is, I still smile when I see the car, and I consider the car worth the investment. And he says, you know, the car has been through a lot. And I looked at him and I said, so have I. I think I'm worth the investment too. So what I'm telling you is go for your dream, whatever that dream is. And if you end up having to get under the dream and hook a cable on it, if you've got a good team of people around you, your dream will just keep improving as you shut off the stuff that it takes to make that dream as strong a vision as you want it to be. And the strength of that vision is reflected in the power of your conversation. And you keep claiming that you will create something, and in essence, you will have claimed it. So there you go. I want to thank you for listening to Waking Up in America today. Our show is produced by Kirkgaard Media Group. We've got a wonderful team at Voice of America that helps put this on. Our chief technical officer is Pete Laubach. Thanks to James Murphy 
for actually getting us going in the beginning. And to Ben Meigen, who wrote that music that you're listening to. It's called Almost Ordinary People. And thanks to Neil Donald Walsh and the incredible team of people that are, that are in my life and help contribute to your life. So thank you so much for listening. And all I have to say is go for it. Go for it. You've been waiting at the door. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com. This is for all, all of your crazy schemes.